Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Crosspoint Church. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And we will be considering uh, really the uh, whole chapter, but by way of Hebrews 1, 1 through 13. So uh, if you'll think with me as you are turning in your Bibles, if you'll think with me for just a moment, I, I believe that you will agree that the simplest moments of our life, we conduct those moments without prior knowledge of the outcome of that moment. So let's go to the grocery store together. So we go to the grocery store and we, and we do this typically with a list of things that we need. However, we usually do not call the grocery store to make sure that all of the things that we need are there before we get there. Now, certainly there will be things that are not at the store that we will not be able to get from our list, but by and large, we will go and we will fulfill our lists. And then as we fill our carts full and we head towards the checkout, we pull out our debit card and the money that we know or at least believe to be there, we scan or tap or insert the chip or throw it at whoever, whatever we're doing these days with our fancy cards. We, we do this. We, we pay for this. And we assume as the card is going through that the funds that we have allotted will be there. As we make our way out to our vehicles, we put our groceries in our vehicle and then we go and the first green light that we come to, we drive through the green light, believing that those coming the opposite direction will stop at the stoplight. And then when we get home, We go in the house and we flip on the switch. The electricity comes on like we assumed it would. And then we place our groceries in their places and the refrigerator being one of them. And the groceries stay cool all night long as we believe they would. Well, this is a silly illustration, but this is the exercise of faith. And so as we come this morning... I think we can all agree with the basic premise that we are acquainted with the idea of faith. That there are things we don't know for sure, and yet we believe the process. What I want to warn us today is that, yes, it's easy to come into church acquainted with the idea of faith. But what I want us to see very quickly here at the outset is that we must be aware as believers or as church people, we must be aware of the danger of our faith in God becoming just another common transaction of faith where we equate the act of faith to little more than a leap into the darkness hoping that all will turn out as it should. If this is our view of faith, and by the time we come to a passage like Hebrews chapter 11 that speaks of bold, confident faith, then we will surely already at the outset be deflated and defeated in our understanding. But the hope that I want to give you is that Hebrews 11 isn't just speaking about bold works of faith, but also, and maybe more primarily, faith's assured work 
in us. And so to start, what I think would be helpful is not really to give a definition of faith. That, that would be somewhat simple to do. A, a biblical definition of faith, that is being trust in Christ. However, what I want to ask is not how do we define faith, but why do we need faith? It, it doesn't matter if you have the greatest definition of what faith in Christ is if you don't actually understand why you need it. Well, the Protestant Reformation was started and fought for this very purpose, that we are justified by God's grace through the means of faith. And one of the fathers of this Protestant Reformation, his name is John Calvin, and he says this in his famous work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And so not so much defining faith, but asking why faith, Calvin says this, First, God lays down for us through the law what we should do. If we then fail in any part of it, that dreadful sentence of eternal death which it produces will rest upon us. Secondly, it is not only hard, but above our strength and beyond all our abilities to fulfill the law to the letter. Thus, if we look to ourselves only and ponder what condition we deserve, no trace of good hope will remain. But cast away by God, we shall lie under eternal death. Thirdly, it has been explained that there is but one means of liberation that can rescue us from such calamity. The appearance of Christ the Redeemer, through whose hand the Heavenly Father, pitying us, out of his infinite goodness and mercy, willed to help us. If, indeed, with firm faith, we embrace this mercy and rest in it with steadfast hope. Why faith? Why faith? It's because salvation is realized by faith. This is, this is not optimism. It's not coming into the room this morning and just simply hoping for the best, that God is who he says he is and that's just it. Faith is being anchored in trust that Jesus has justified us and put us at peace with God. That's Romans 5.1. We're not coming into this room this morning as believers in Christ hoping that everything turns out, but rather with the assurance that Christ is who he says he is and that the work that he has done is true and good and sufficient for us. So look with me in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 13. And really, this is, uh, if I had to title this sermon this morning, I would entitle it something like The Hall of Faith, The Museum of Faith, The Picture Gallery of Faith, um, The Photos app on iPhone, I don't know. But this is a picture of what happens to a follower of Jesus when they are gripped by faith in Christ. Starting in verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. 
And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he commended the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself being uh, received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for who you are. Lord, as we have heard through song and prayer, Father, you are infinite. You are matchless. Your grace abounds to the uttermost. And Father, we confess now that our only plea, our only hope is Christ. Open our eyes by the power of your Spirit to see what it is you are saying to us in this text. Help us to see it, help us to put it on, and help us to be more like Christ because of it. And Father, I pray for my friends in this room who do not yet know you, that they would contemplate deeply to the uttermost of their being who they are before you, and that you might grip their heart with your gospel, your saving grace. We pray this knowing that it's only you who can do this work. Use us this morning for this end. It's to your glory that we pray these things. Amen. Okay, so this morning I have really two points that I want to look at here. The first is this. Saving faith is the certitude of things hoped for and not seen. But, but before we can really just jump into this text and take it on, I want us to understand that we must have a faithful understanding of faith or else we will do spiritual harm to ourselves and to those around us. And the understanding I want us to have at the outset is that faith is a gift. Faith, even in the life of the believer, is not primarily a virtue of man, but rather it is something that has been implanted into us. God has deposited into us the gift of faith. It's not that any of us have come into this room this morning with the virtue of faith and God is simply watering that faith and then turning our capabilities into saving faith. 
That, that is not what has happened. And the reason we must understand that grace is produced, or excuse me, grace is enacted in our lives through faith first as a gift is because if we don't understand this, then we will not understand verse one of Hebrews chapter 11. The reason being is this. We can't grasp this notion of faith, this, this bold, assured, confident faith, if it's based on how we feel we are doing as faithful ones. If, if faith is first and foremost a virtue that we have inside of us, then really it is our virtue that we are to cultivate ourselves, that we are called to, to bud and to grow And yet the Bible does not talk of faith in this way. The only reason that Hebrews 11, this author can claim in Hebrews 11, one, now faith is, because faith is, is a bold statement. The author is not confusing it. He's not saying it's kind of like, or it's sometimes. He's saying faith is, definitively. Well, the reason faith is, is not because of our ability of faith or our capacity of faith, but rather because faith is tethered to Christ. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 10. You you may not even need to flip over, but uh, verses 19 through 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." The idea that we must understand about our faith in any given moment is that our faith faith will not be effective, it will not be sufficient if our faith is dependent on that moment. You have not been called into this room this morning to exercise your ability of faith that you had before you came to Christ because you had none. There's great rest in that. That what God calls us to, he enables us to do. Even something like exerting faith. And so our author wants to see, as we're now kind of fleshing out and digging into this, this chapter, this understanding of faith in particular, what the author wants us to understand, what he wants us to see, what he wants us to have confidence in, is that faith is the substance and certainty of of what Christ has done for us. That is, your faith, if it is saving faith, is proof of what God has done in Christ. Right, and so your faith is not merely optimism, your faith is not merely a leap into the darkness, your faith is tethered to Christ, it is founded in Christ, and it is actual, tangible proof that all that God has promised in Christ is real and sure. Faith is the unseen being seen. Faith is the followers of Christ taking hold of the promises of Christ 
even as we wait for the fulfillment of those promises. Followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ, Cross Point Church, even now in this moment, we have tangible proof of faith in Christ and what he has done because you are gathered this morning as a kingdom of citizens. Even now, it's in in all of the practices of, of, of the church as we stand and pray and we bow our heads united together, as we lift up our voices united together, as we take the Lord's Supper together, as we watch baptisms, we are functioning as citizens of a different kingdom. The kingdom that we're awaiting is already partially here now. And so what we await for in the future, what we long to take hold of, we already have a grasp of now. It's the unseen being seen by faith. And so we have to draw the conclusion. What the author of Hebrews is wanting us to see is that faith isn't blind trust. Faith isn't the weird thing that that followers of Jesus do that the world looks upon and they think, you are crazy. Well, guess what? We don't care. Because faith is not optimism. Faith is not voodoo. Faith is not any, any of those things. Faith is clarity. This is exactly why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Right? We do not ever know of Paul just flippantly throwing around phrases in the word of God. And so to make the claim that we walk by faith and not by sight means that faith must be something real and tangible and true. That faith must be something that actually guides us through life, though we cannot see what is happening. And so when we have this understanding of faith in this manner, when it's not just a hoping for the best, we start to see that faith allows us to walk through this life knowing that the highest and final truth isn't determined by what we can see. This is exactly why he puts verse three in here. If you, if you just read through this in your Bible reading plan, there's a good chance that you're gonna be like, why is this author talking about creation? Well, well the point being is this is that every day we either believe or deny a reality. And that is that creation was created not merely because of what we can see, but because of what we believe God has said to us. That is, creation was out of nothing only by the word of God. And so every day that we get up, we have to contend with the fact that the reason that the, that the, the trees blow in the wind The reason that we walk amongst the earth, the reason that we get hungry, the reason that we breathe, the reason for everything that we see is not explained by anything that we can see. That is the power of faith. That we are released to trust in everything that God has said and not have to see any of it. And I think one of the great hopes of the church forever, but for us even now, is that when the Bible tells us that Christ is ruling and reigning even now, Christ is ruling and reigning even now. 
and all of the things that stand in opposition to his kingdom, all of the things that are anti-Christian now in, in this life, none of those seen, felt things are truer than the fact that Christ reigns. We never want to remove logic or, or some degree of intelligence from understanding the Bible. But the truth for us is, is that we not only do not need to start there, we cannot start there. We can logic and reason well as Christians, and we should do those things. We must do those things. But at the end of the day, we must realize that we will never, by logic or reason, convince anyone to turn and trust in Christ unless, unless God has given them the gift of faith and they exercise the gift of faith. So the immediate context here in Hebrews, the whole, the whole book, as the author is writing to this church, the immediate context is this author wanting to encourage these believers in their faith out of a desire for them to be able to endure through hard struggles. So if you go back and you can read all of chapter 10, you can see that he wants them to endure by faith through hard struggles. Well, in a fallen world, we are never far removed from hard struggles. None of us. You have either just come from a hard struggle, you're in a hard struggle, or a hard struggle is coming for you. It's, it's life in a fallen world. And in the midst of all of that, the call to the Christian is to endure, endure, persevere, be steadfast in your faith. Well, the question is how? Am I, am I supposed to just have these capabilities? Is this just simply a possibility for me because I am a follower of Jesus? I mean, just think about it. How do we make it through COVID? And guess what? When we make it through COVID, there's another COVID. If the Lord tarries, there's another COVID. If we make it through this election, if the Lord tarries in four years, there's another election. And all of the struggles that we have collectively brought into this room, if we make it through them, there will be more. Because the reality is, is we live in a fallen world subject to all of the fallenness around us. So how do we endure through these things? You, you, you may think like, okay, if this is the, the, if this is the point of Hebrews, if he's, if he's encouraging them and, and bolstering them in their faith in Christ, then it might be this really, really long excerpt of doctrinal truth, which it is in Hebrews 1 through 10. And then you kind of come over the mountain and all of a sudden it's a picture gallery of the faithful. And what does he say to us? How do we endure? How do we endure in hard struggles? His answer is this, and it is profound. The answer is faith. Now, to us, and especially if we are struggling with our faith in this moment, if we feel particularly weak in our faith, th this may seem too simple. Or on the other spectrum, if you are very heavily reliant on your works of faith and you think that your works of faith are what justify you before God, you also may think this is too simple. But the reality for the Christian is that there is a middle ground and it is simply this. You endure 
through faith. Period. The reason that this is not the simple, easy way out is because only faith allows us to see the reality that the kingdom that God has prepared for us is better, it's surer, and it's truer than this one. And so faith for us, faith for the faithful is not simply wishful thinking. It's not casting our hopes into the ether and, and just thinking and hoping that it gets to God and that everything will be fine. It's none of that. Faith is actually proof. It's the substance of all that Christ has done and all that Christ has promised. Your faith, if it is in Christ, is proof that we have been convinced by and trust in Jesus. And when we come into that reality, the truth of Jesus opens our eyes to see that this life is only a moment on our pilgrimage to our heavenly home. This life is only a blip on the radar on our pilgrimage to our heavenly home. And so that does a couple of things. Number one, I think what that does is it gives us the courage to endure through hard struggles knowing that these struggles don't last forever and in reality they don't even last that long. Even if it be death that takes us, your struggles were very short. So we can take courage, we can endure, we can remain faithful knowing that all that we have been promised is ours. But the second thing that it does that maybe we are not so quick to see is that our life is not very long. And there are many, many, many millions of people around us that do not have this hope. They have never been touched by the gospel message. Why is it that this church is so supportive of missions? Well, not so we can get the badge, but because we see the urgency of sharing the gospel with all of the nations, taking the message of Christ and grace through him alone, by faith alone, to the nations, to our neighbors, to our families. Because there is not much time. And so I don't want us to forget that in our enduring we're not just trying to make it. We're, we're not just trying to get to our heavenly home. We are, by the grace of God, trying to collect as many people to come on us with our, in our pilgrimage as we possibly can with the time that we have and with the influence that God has given us. The second point is this. Saving faith produces in us the desire to lead faithful lives. So the trap we could now possibly fall into is spiritual lethargy. Okay, yeah, this is great. I, I love the fact that it is just simply true because of what Christ has done on my behalf that my faith is sure and I can be confident in that faith. So what I'll do is I'll take my faith and I'll just wait over here. Y'all have fun. 
I'm going to take my faith and I'm just going to wait for things to end. I'm going to live a faithful life and I'm simply going to die a faithful life. Well, this absolutely, unequivocally cannot be satisfactory for a follower of Jesus. The idea that God would save us and change our lives to then make our lives as comfortable as possible is ludicrous and it is found nowhere in the Bible. So what we see as we progress through Hebrews chapter 11 in, in, in all of these heroes of the faith is that whenever we are touched with saving faith, that saving faith compels us, it propels us to live radically faithful lives to do radically faithful things because of the faith that we have been given. And so faith, saving faith, true faith, true authentic faith is never stagnant in the life of the believer. And I, and I don't want to cause you any harm in this moment, but if your saving faith is stagnant faith, you need to examine your life. You need to examine whether you have truly met Jesus Christ. Right, this is the testimony of all of these saints. Every single one of them. These heroes of the faith. There's just over and over again one phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith. And so we don't have time to look at all of these. In fact, in uh, verse 32, the author says, and what more shall I say, for time would fail me. Well, if time failed him, I ain't got no time, right? So we're only going to look at Abel as kind of a model of the faithfulness that God is calling us to in the book of Hebrews. So if you have been around church for any amount of time, or if you have been in a Sunday school class, you will understand that Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's firstborn children. So what happened is God called them to give some sort of sacrifice. The account is very limited in Genesis chapter four, but they are called to give God a sacrifice. And so both of these brothers do this. Abel, he goes out and he takes amongst the firstborn the, the best that he has to offer, the, the best choice sheep or lamb or whatever, both, I don't know. Cain does exactly the same thing. He takes the best of what he has apparently of the ground, of his harvest. Well, what ends up happening is God accepts what Abel offers and he rejects what Cain offers. And the explanation that we can gather from Genesis chapter four is simply that it was the heart of Abel that made his sacrifice acceptable to God and it was the heart of Cain that made his sacrifice unacceptable. That is, it was the manner which with they sacrificed to God. Well, that's, that's fine. But how is Abel faithful when Cain is not? Be because we can't just look at the heart and think, okay, well, I just need to have the right heart motive okay, that's fine, but how do I do that? How, how do I cultivate the right heart? 
How do I become increasingly faithful in my Christian walk? Well, the answer is this. Apparently, Abel sacrificed the best of what he could see to take hold of what he could not. As Abel was called to sacrifice to the Lord, there was nothing in his life that he could see, that he could touch, that he could smell, that he could hear, that would be more satisfactory than the unseen pleasure of God. How do we want to be more faithful? How is it that we are to increase our faith? What is it that all of these heroes of the faith are doing? They are giving the very best of what is seen to take hold of that which is not. And to them, it was so true It was so sure and it was so real to them in faith that it was counted as righteousness to them. That is, yes, they are, as we understand with the New Testament, they are justified only by the blood of Christ. And yet before they knew that was the grounds of their justification, it was their faith and trust in God that made them righteous before God. Their faith, as with everyone of faith, for all of eternity, is only founded in the sacrifice of Christ. And yet we must not miss that before they ever knew of Christ, they simply trusted that God was going to crush the head of their enemy and that it was worth everything to them. That every promise that he had made up to this point in three chapters of Genesis, they were willing to stake everything and not just everything, the best of everything for what they could not see. And it tells us that Abel's faith still speaks to us today. And I'm I'm sure, I'm just drawing this conclusion, but I'm sure that if Abel's faith speaks to us, then all of these heroes of faith, their faith speaks to us. And, And I would venture to say that all of us who are of saving faith, our faith will speak long after we are dead. At least until we are forgotten. But our faith will live on. It will say something or it will say nothing. Think about that for just a moment. That thousands of years later, somewhere between maybe five and seven thousand years later, I just kind of gave away what I believe about a huge doctrine in the Bible, but there it is. Thousands of years later, we, we are not learning more about Cain and Abel, right? We're not getting more of the juicy details, right? We're not sipping on some tea, learning about Abel and Cain. What we're learning about is their faith in their creator. That's it. And so the question for us is if you were to die today, 
what would speak? If you were to die today, what would speak? I would love to be known as a faithful husband, a faithful father, and a committed faithful servant of the Lord. But above all of that, I would want to be known as one who was truly touched by saving faith. A faith so real that it changed the course of my life. So if their faith still speaks, what does it say? What are they, what are they wanting us to hear? By faith. Only by faith. Look with me in verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you want to know one of the great truths of faith? It's this. We realize the power of faith when we see our faith as the means that God has given us to please him. We realize the power of faith when we understand that it is God's given means to his followers to please him. What is faith but worship of something you cannot see? Total, sold out commitment, full confident, assured trust in that which you cannot see. And yet it doesn't even stop there. Something so true and sure that it causes your life to change radically. Worship is not just something we do for 20 minutes on a Sunday or in our vehicle or with our children in our living room. Worship is a way of life. What did Abel do? He worshiped God in faith. He ordered his life by faith. Faith was so real to him that he gave everything for it. If your faith in your eyes is weak or it's not as clear as you would like it to be, then the one thing I would encourage you is to know Jesus more. To, for yourself, get into the word of God and spend time with your creator. Learn him, know him, and love him. If you do that, your faith will increase. Because there is no way to find yourself radically faithful unless you truly believe and have confidence in that which you are exerting faith. And I promise you, unbeliever, if you meet Christ truly today, 
you will not be the same. It is a long road of faithfulness. It is a long road of enduring hard struggles. But when you meet Christ, the first thing you learn is that it is worth it. Take everything. And so I just want us to be sure that when we talk about faith, we don't put ourselves in a position where we think of faith in terms of having understood all things. Well, I will be more faithful when I understand all things in the Bible. I will be more faithful when I have more knowledge of God. Well, none of us, if you are a parent, would love for your children to just know some things about you more. Our hope as parents is that our children know us. They know who we are and they know who they are in our eyes. And it's real. It's tangible. And so faith is not understanding all things. It's in all things trusting God. True faith, bold faith, is trusting God in all things not understanding all things. Take a sigh of relief. Certainly, this passage is commending us to strive for extraordinary, radical acts of faith. There is a reason that we have been given certain aspects of these heroes' lives. Right? And we have not seen the sinful acts Because a part of faith is simply trusting that the blood of Christ has eradicated those in the eyes of God. Right? When we're talking about saving faith, we're talking about what God has given us and then what it does through us. Well, certainly we are being commended radical acts of faith. There is no spiritual lethargy here at all. Right? The step that you are scared to take, Hebrews 11 says, take it. Right? The mother or the father who does not know the gospel and that you have anxiety about sharing with them because they are your mother or your father, Hebrews 11 is saying, share the gospel. Right? The temptation to silence because of persecution, Hebrews 11 is saying, it doesn't matter. Speak anyway. Speak boldly. The temptation to, to put on the world as just a a kind of blanket for for moments in our life to be a little bit more comfortable, right? We're not worldly people, but we kind of want to put on like some sort of invisibility cloak just for the moment, right? I'll take it off as soon as I'm not around this group of friends. Hebrews 11 says, cast the cloak away. But what we need to understand is that Hebrews 11 is not measuring faith by how extraordinary an action is. It's showing us that faith is mightily expressed through a confident desire to believe and seek God in all things. Over all things. And so this means that faith isn't sufficient because of great acts or great moments. Faith is sufficient because God has called us to it and has placed all of the power of Christ behind it. So that where there is saving faith, faith, there is the full force of Christ's work. How do we know this? 
as we end our time, I want to point us to 1 John 5, 4 and 5. How can we come to grips with the power of our faith? And how can we believe that the full force of Christ's work is behind our faith? Well, it's summed up pretty well here. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are thankful for the faith that you have given us. We are thankful that in your grace and your mercy, you help us to be faithful. And Lord, even for the moments when we are not, even for our moments of struggle with sin or the temptation to to doubt, God, you are long-suffering in your love and your care and your compassion and your mercy for us. But Father, we don't want to think for a moment that that is true of us if we are outside of Christ. Because we are not faithful merely to be faithful. We are faithful because of what Christ has done. Father, that's the only grounding of our faith. It's the only foundation for our faith. It's the only thing that our faith can be tethered to that will cause us to endure through hard struggles. And yet we proclaim that it is by faith that we have been saved. And so, Father, we pray even now that you would lift us up, that you would give us bold faith, that you would undergird our faith, that you would cause it to be a mighty strong fortress that the world might see Christ and his work. We pray that you would do that through us and through our church. And that above all, we would trust you. And we would be confident in you simply because of what you have said. Help us, Lord. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.